It's cliche to say that we hate our boss, but is it really true? Well, a recent 2018 study found that 75% of Americans say the worst aspect of their job is their boss. Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman found that interacting with our bosses was our second least favorite activity of the day, only behind commuting. Researchers at the University of Warwick asked employees, "How much do you need to be paid to put up with a bad boss?" Respondents didn't ask for a five percent or a ten percent increase; they said they wanted to be paid a hundred and fifty percent more. In this episode of Nudge, I chat to best-selling author and award-winning podcaster Bruce Daisley. In his book *Joy of Work*. Bruce explains that most of us don't like our boss, but that shouldn't be a surprise. Higher education courses on modern management have taught many bosses out-of-date practices, and recent analysis of the modern workplace finds that good management isn't really what we thought. To kick off, I'll hand over to Bruce, who highlights one of the small but damaging things most modern-day bosses do. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D to C Pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D to C Pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D to C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode three one eight, which features the CMO of Feastables. So, listen to D to C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com/service to do more for your customers today. I think it's worth starting by saying that I think work creates such a sense of guilt on us. It creates such pressure on us that quite often people find themselves doing things and they don't have bad intention. No one intends to. Make other people's. Very few of us intend to make other people's lives hard and and miserable. But some of the actions we take can have that consequence,、um, not by design but by accident. And one of those things is weekend emailing. So if you ask someone who emails at the weekend, they'll, they'll normally say something to you like, "Look, you know, don't don't read this at the weekend, guys. Read on Monday." Or they'll say, "You don't need to read this now." But what you find is that the evidence suggests that when bosses email or anyone emails at the weekend, for every hour that the boss spends emailing, it creates 15 minutes work on average for everyone who receives that email. So you know, if if I email 
a team of 20 people, then effectively I've created five hours work for, for a, distributed across that team. It's a viral creation of work for the people. Now, I'm sure the boss, and I've chatted to lots of bosses who, who email at the weekend, and they normally say, I was just clearing my inbox. But it's the difference between message sent and message received. Message sent, I was just clearing my inbox. Message received is, oh, I'm working right now. I think you should be working right now. Uh, whether it's intended or not, it has that impact. Bruce is citing a study by Microsoft which found that a boss emailing out of hours virally spreads work throughout the business. But as Bruce says, this raises a problem. One of the best indicators of what makes a good boss, according to hundreds of studies with employees, is the speed in which they respond to email. The faster the response, the better. So how do you keep your employees happy? Well, Bruce suggests setting clear boundaries with your teams. Stating that you'll try to respond to all of your emails within the workday and that you won't ever email your employees out of hours or at the weekends is fair because it creates trust. And unsurprisingly, research at Sheffield University found that companies that have higher levels of trust in their managers achieve better results than those that don't. So we had a situation in the team that I ran where people were quitting with no job to go to and, and we would ask them, what's the reason why you're going? And they would often say, I just feel completely spent. I feel done in. I feel like I've got no, I've got nowhere I can go. You know, like I feel completely and lacking in energy. And the, the question we had to ask ourselves was, was that a reflection of the way we were working? And of course it was. Of course it was. You know, if someone is delighted the day they get a job and then they find themselves two or three years later saying, I can't do this anymore, then it has to be a reflection of the way you're working. We were forced to ask ourselves the question, was there simple actions that we could take that would make work uh, more sustainable? And look, here's the challenge, that a lot of us, the archetypes of work that we create are, are deliberately unsustainable. The way we work at college is that, you know, college terms are 10 weeks long, where by the end of it, you're working to some hectic deadline where you're working late into the night, you pull an all-nighter. And so it creates this model of work, which is, okay, it seems to accelerate. It seems to, you know, get incredibly intense at the end. But what we delete from that story when we bring it to the world of modern work is that we delete the fact that the next day we slept all day and then we had you know, the most bountiful holidays that any of us will experience in our lives. We, we delete all of that from the memory. So we, we tell ourselves, yeah, well, you know, if we need to pull an all-nighter, we'll pull an all-nighter. And I, I recognise that most of us don't do that. But we certainly might find ourselves working hard and furiously when we're on deadline. So um, so I think, you know, that that's the critical thing. Trying to get a sense of balance is really important for us to, to change the experience of work. And one of the ways that we do that is, look, you know, to try and say there's no incentive for emailing at the weekend. Working on the weekend obviously doesn't help, but it's also not the only commonplace mistake made by modern managers. In Joy of Work, Bruce talks about managers that create a culture that encourages people to burn out because of how they praise or criticise their team. So many managers will praise an employee for staying late and getting a project done while others might joke when someone leaves the office early or state, where is everybody when the office might look empty? While it might feel normal to praise employees for visually sitting at their desk and getting something done, 
It pushes this idea that time spent at desk equals output, rather than measuring employees based on their actual performance. The worker who leaves on time might be far more efficient than the one who stays late, and the employee that arrives at 10am after dropping off his kids might have got a few hours of work done earlier that morning. Publicly shaming or praising this behaviour only worsens the burnout problem. Another common managerial tactic to improve performance is bonuses, financial incentives and commission. While managerial textbooks might praise this approach, there's a wealth of evidence that suggests it doesn't work. The latest example comes from the London School of Economics, where scholars looked at 51 studies on pay-for-performance schemes. Their paper stated that financial incentives actually reduce motivation, diminish the amount of fairness and other social norms employees comply to, and actually result in a negative impact on overall performance for that employee. Bruce also highlighted a revealing study in his book, Researchers found that when children were offered a cash prize to create art, the quality and creativity of that art decreased compared to when no reward was offered. Let's move on to one of the most crucial and important activities a manager does. It's not one-to-ones, it's not performance reviews, but actually onboarding new starters. This is one of the critical lessons, I think, uh, fixing work, is that we sometimes can find ourselves daunted with how can I improve my team? How can I improve my work? You know, maybe I'm not the boss. Very determinedly, this book wasn't for someone who was the boss, but but more for someone who was an active participant in a team. And so I wanted to create a lot of little things that can make work 5% better. And one of the things that we can learn from is the power of inductions. There is uh, some wonderful work done by an incredible luminary uh, called Dan Cable. He did work which was looking at the, the way that people were onboarded into companies. And he went to work with a, a company called Wepro, who was sort of an Indian uh, technology company. He started messing with their induction process. So what would happen if we changed the induction process? So they gave half of the group an exercise, which was they said to them, we want you to, in your group of new starters, we want you to talk about this question. What was the time uh, in your job where you were acting in the way you were born to act? When have you been successful acting in the way you were born to act? And share that amongst your, your uh, new starters. And what they discovered was that merely that invitation to invite people to, to chat amongst themselves and to, to talk about when they were successful or not seemed to make people feel unburdened and unencumbered by some of the sort of quirks and the these sort of hidden secrets that we maybe don't reveal when we first start somewhere. And what they found was that full year retention of these people, it was a relatively high turnover environment, was 50% higher. But also, I think most interestingly, their, their customer satisfaction was significantly higher. I think it was about 20% higher. It was a score of 73 and the uh, the average for the the workplace was 61 effectively by allowing people to feel like they could bring their full selves to work is sometimes the jargon used for this it seems to be unlocking a better experience of work for them simply by asking new starters to talk about their past achievements during their induction decreased the likelihood of turnover by 32 percent 
It's a tiny change, but it led to a better cohesion in the team and better quality of work and ultimately a higher customer satisfaction rate. Clearly, the power of a good induction can't be overlooked. What Bruce makes clear in his book is that a team that collaborates well is more likely to be successful, and a good induction makes this easier. A really simple way to do this is to just build longer lunch tables. One study found that that was the most effective way at improving work productivity. But most bosses just aren't good at this. 75% of Americans say the worst aspect of their job is their boss, and this is a serious problem. One Swedish study found that a bad boss can lead to a 60% increase in heart risk. So how can we assess the impact of our bosses and discover what actually makes a good boss? There's a strange thing when, when it comes to assessing the impact of bosses. Nothing has more impact on our experience of work than bosses. A friend of mine, Professor Sir Carrie Cooper, he often describes it as the line manager lottery. He says, you know, people generally resign from a bad boss rather than a bad company. Two teams sitting next to each other can have completely different workplace engagement scores simply based on their, their manager. So it seems to have a massive impact on our experience. But the one thing that we know that if you can't be a good boss, then being a good supportive colleague is the next best thing. And the, the power of praise is remarkable. In fact, when we look at bosses who see themselves as Simon Cowell style figures, sort of critical and, and analytical, they seem to produce much less impact in lifting their team's results upwards than people who just act as a selective cheerleader, calling things out when things go wrong. In fact, this, this doesn't just extend to work. This extends to personal relationships. People generally feel happier about their relationship when they feel their partner loves them, admires them, supports them. It's more than anything. It's that sense of belongingness, I think. You know, human beings are sort of atavistically programmed to hate rejection. And anything that redoubles our sense of feeling wanted, belonging, seems in the very least to be helpful. So I think this is it. It's like it's an important reminder to bosses. We might see avenues to be critical. I think we just need to be really clear about when to be critical and how we can how we can get the, the most out of that. If you can't if you can't necessarily be the best manager, be the, the biggest supporter seems to be a lesson. Research consistently shows that praise improves performance. Studies find that managers that only praise create better performing employees, even if they fail to highlight clear flaws in the employee's performance. A study in the US and in Spain found that managers who communicated motivationally were more effective than those that offered financial rewards. In contrast, pure negative feedback left teams confused, disengaged and more likely to quit, according to a 2015 Harvard Business Review paper. Praise is even more valuable when it comes from somebody who knows what they're talking about. Another HBR study found this time in 2018 that technical experts who have worked their way up through the ranks and showed themselves to be competent in the employees' roles were strong predictors of high employee job satisfaction. We like those who have done it before. So mastering tech, software, processes and functions of an employee's job is a key trait of a successful manager. 
Now, you could summarize all of this by saying being nice makes you a good manager. I think it's more nuanced than that, but the research shows that plain and simple nice gestures greatly improve performance. For example, doctors who receive a bag of sweets from their patients are remarkably better at coming up with creative solutions to a problem. But we all know that some negative feedback is necessary. We can't blindly praise an employee if they're doing something blatantly wrong. So what do we do? How do we offer feedback in a way that's constructive? Ed Catmull, former president of Pixar, offers an interesting solution. In his book, Creativity Inc., he explains the key to Pixar's success were their brain trust meetings. In these meetings, senior execs would listen to pitches, read scripts, and watch early drafts of the latest Pixar production. The crucial rule in this meeting was that execs could highlight problems, but could not suggest improvements. Doing so would undermine the creator. It's easy to suggest something different, but Pixar knew they were better off letting their experts come up with a solution. By not offering their point of view, they knew the expert would be free to think about the problem creatively and come up with a better solution. But while we're on the subject of group collaboration, why don't we talk about one of the most common group exercises in the workplace, the brainstorm. Here's Bruce talking about why brainstorming might not be the smartest approach to collective thinking. If we find ourselves doing a group brainstorm, what tends to happen is that it becomes a projection, a reflection of the dynamics, the power dynamics in a, in a room. And one of the best things we can actually do, we proceed the team brainstorm with individual um, moments of reflection where those amongst us find ourselves thinking of ideas and then casting those ideas onto the wall collectively afterwards. And I think just understanding how these processes work helps us get more out of moments where we are looking to be collectively intelligent. I think this, the secret superpower of human beings is that we do have a collective intelligence. When we look at ourselves versus our predecessor apes, one thing that seems to be our superpower is that we're, we're able to combine the ideas of those around us with our own insight. And it's that combination of ideas that seems to propel us to, to greater levels of understanding. And, um, and so understanding how best to first gather our own ideas and then expose them to the group seems to be the, 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 best, the best way to take advantage of our sum total of knowledge. Encouraging team members to come up with their own ideas, personally or in small groups, is much more effective than asking a large group to brainstorm. A 2012 study in The New Yorker found that this approach, compared to the traditional brainstorm model, doubled creativity and effective suggestions. When it comes to management, there's far more to cover, but unfortunately that's all we have time for today. I'd like to give Bruce a massive, massive thank you. He was brilliant to chat to, and I wasn't surprised at all because his book and podcast are brilliant listens, and they're vital resources actually for anybody who works in the modern workplace. If you'd like to grab a copy of his book, click the link in the show notes. It's currently under a tenner on Amazon, which is an absolute steal. And you can also check out his podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, by clicking the link in the show notes. There's an epic episode with Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp, who explains the tactics he used to create a winning culture at the club. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Nudge. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Cheers. Thank you.